Hi folks, Jack Spierko here. Today you are listening to an episode of TSP Rewind. <laughs> Commercial free versions of past episodes. Podcasts blast from the past. I put these up when I can't do a show due to professional commitments or rare vacations. These podcasts will appear in standard iTunes, Stitcher, and other feeds, but will be titled TSP Rewind Episodes and numbered accordingly. So today we are rewinding all the way back to April 28th, 2010. It was originally episode 426, Developing Survival Knowledge While Camping. So this is almost a full eight-year rewind, which is kind of cool. 2010 was actually the first year uh, that I, I did the, the survival podcast full-time. I launched the show in June of 2008, And then I ran the show as a part-time endeavor, endeavor from 2008 uh, through 2009. And then January 1st, or 2nd, I guess it was, 2010, I took the show full-time and walked away from my career. And that, you know, was now eight and a half years ago almost. And it's the uh, best thing I've ever done in my life. Now, this show is really kind of a cool old-school show. And we, we talk today about things involved with camping and how that can help us be better modern survivalists. But we don't talk about it from a standpoint of, okay, we're going to go camping so that when the zombies and the blue helmets come, we can all run up in the woods together and play Red Nine. What we talk about here is that when we go camping, we, do, we just don't have certain conveniences available to us. And that teaches us what it's like to be without them. And it allows us to figure out, you know, how are we going to deal with these things. And it's also a hell of a lot of fun. And there's a few reasons I chose this show for today. One, I've been digging around, you know, shows that came out in April since it's April. Because a lot of times shows have some time sensitivity to them. So that led me here. And that led me to say, hey, you know, I probably did this show. Because April's a time of the year when a lot of people are going camping. Car camping, tent camping, backpack camping. It's a good time of year. It's generally warmed up enough that you can go out there without freezing your butt off, but we haven't got into the triple digits yet, so you're not going to go out there and try to go to sleep at night and just lay with sweat in your neck and stuff like that. The other thing is, you know, we've been doing this uh, bug out trailer episode with Stephen Harris, doing an episode a month, and we probably will end up doing an episode a month every month for the entire year of 2018 because that's how much content came in from you guys wanting to know more about the subject. And, you know, what it made me think of is what I've been saying in that series. If you are only going to put together a bug out trailer and, and, and put it in your backyard or your garage and not touch it unless you have to bug out, don't do it. There's better things to do with your, your prepping budget and with your lifestyle budget than that. But if you will use it for camping, for sleeping out at the deer lease, for things like that, then it makes a hell of a lot of sense to do. So, so I just thought this really kind of fit with that a great deal. And I think it's just kind of cool to go back that many years, back eight years. Some of the things to think about while you're listening to today's show is, how do you make this work for you? Because there's a big difference for me to go camping by myself if my wife doesn't want to go alone, or with a buddy that's used to roughing it and used to camping. And, uh, you know, what it was like for me to go camping when my wife wanted to go, and my son was eight years old. So I can only imagine what it's like to go camping with a three-year-old or a four-year-old. Sometimes we go to like the parks and take hikes and stuff, and you see people camping. It's like it's like mom and dad, and they have like a three-year-old, a five-year-old, and a seven-year-old. 
personally, I'd rather punch myself in the face with a boxing glove coated in glass than try to go camping with uh, three kids of that age. But some people make it work. So you got to think about what works for you. That's one of the really big things to think about. And then the other thing is think about kind of going slow, right? Like, you don't have to go out and go camping for a week. Go for it at night. Go for it at night. And here's my, here's my super secret trick with camping. Don't go on the weekends if you, if you can help it. I know some people have to, but kind of the best thing to do is take a time that's not around a holiday. No Memorial Day, no nothing like that. You know, take a Tuesday and Wednesday off with work with your vacation PTO, whatever, and go out like Tuesday morning, spend all Tuesday there, camp Tuesday night, come home Wednesday, you know, sometime in the middle of the day, get everything put away, get ready, go back to work. Thursday, Friday, you're off for a weekend. It's it's great, you know. Uh, it really is. It's when there's not a million people there. And personally, I mean, I don't know what the laws are in your area, but I have no problem pulling my kid out of school for a day or two for independent learning like that. And that's something homeschoolers obviously don't have to worry about. But just some thoughts about that. Hope you enjoy today's show. Hope you enjoy this week. Uh, definitely make this this a time for bonding if you take my advice today and get out there and do some camping with your family in the coming months or any time in the future. And I'll be back with you next week. With that, here we go, all the way back to April 28, 2010, Episode 426, Developing Survival Knowledge While Camping. Now, I, I, I want to kind of go over what I was saying there in the beginning and reiterate some things and make them a little bit more clear as well. There's, there's two types of camping that, that I see with, you can put the word survival next to them. There's, you know, sur learn, camping to learn about survival versus survival camping. If you want to do survival camping, true survival camping, go out and pretend to be, you know, Les Stroud or Bear Gryllis or somebody like that. Ron Hood's got a great DVD for you. Amazing DVD on survival camping. Think you should check it out. You also get 10% off of that DVD if you're an MSB member, by the way. Um, But Ron Hood at Survival.com has some amazing DVDs, and his Survival Camping DVD and some of his other DVDs, there's one, I can't remember what it's called, but it's him and a bunch of folks. That Maybe it is the Survival Camping. Well, there's, there's two. There's a Survival Camping, and there's one where it's like him and a bunch of folks go out for like a week out in the middle of the wilderness, and uh, Survival Camp is a group. Great stuff. Don't recommend it's where you start out, especially with little kids. Rod would probably tell you the same thing if you're dragging along a spoiled, rotten little 10-year-old girl and a 12-year-old boy who's just starting to check out girls and wants his video games, and you go out into like the river of no return wilderness, probably a bad idea for a first camping trip. So speaking a lot to the families or speaking to the single couple, or the, not the single, but the couples out there that don't have any kids yet, Uh, but, you know, maybe the wife's not real, you know, hip on this or the girlfriend's not real hip on this. And you want to kind of ease them into it. Not the way to go. Honey, we're going to be living on like uh, two days worth of biltong, but we're going to be gone for like four days. And we're going to be out in the middle of nowhere. and We're going to be snaring rats. And, you know, it's going to be great. Probably a bad idea. Don't be surprised if she doesn't go or the kids don't want to go. Or, or if you do get them to go, they never want to go again. So that's not what I'm really focused on today. We can get to that level, or we can get to whatever level people are comfortable with with our camping over time. All right, But the way to start out, if you want to put some survivalism into camping, 
is making sure that you're using it as an opportunity to develop and learn survival skills or simply dealing the skills necessary to deal with the lacks of systems of support that you may have in your own home. Or wildlife identification, a lot of other things we're going to talk about today. Versus being in any kind of big time discomfort. A little bit of discomfort, that's good. Well, we're going to talk about that, especially with kids in a minute. Uh, a little bit of discomfort's fine. But you don't want to be miserable. You don't want to be all bit up with insects. You don't want to be hungry. You want to have fun. You want to make camping fun. Camping can be fun and educational at the same time. I do believe it's the golden rule if you want to get the most out of it. So just to set the tone, that's where we're going to be today. We're going to be talking about, again, learning survival skills while camping versus true hardcore, you know, uh, bushcraft and, and being out there in the woods on your own with a knife and pretending you're some TV talent, all right? Um, the next thing I want to do is tell you right up front, if you're not a camper, if you don't have a lot of gear, if you're going to start doing this anytime soon, don't go out and blow like thousands of dollars on gear. Don't buy tons of stuff. I'm going to go through kind of right now a list of the things that you need to have successful and happy camping trips and for it to be real camping. Because, folks, I'm going to tell you right now, if you go out to the local state park and they have cabins and you rent a cabin, It's a great vacation. It is not camping. All right? Um, I would even say, like, I'm cheating now because I have an RV, right? But not a bad thing to have either. And you, you, it, it's still camping, but it's not the same. Camping is done in a tent. So the first thing you need is a tent, or if you have a larger family, multiple tents. I actually would tell you it may be one of the best things you could do for yourself if you have kids. If you have one kid, this probably won't work, but two, or the kids are going to bring friends or something like that, is go with a smaller tent and a two-tent model versus a great big tent with a divider in it. Mom and Dad will get some peace and privacy, maybe even a little bit more than you get at home sometimes. The kids kind of get their own little world out there. If you got one kid and you're just taking them with you by yourself, obviously the kid's going to be scared like that. You probably don't want to do that, but definitely a two-tent model. And smaller tents are easier to set up, easier to pack. And I tell you that most families, especially if you're not real good at it yet because you're learning, will be able to set up two smaller dome tents You know, a four-man-sized dome tent, two of those, a hell of a lot easier than one of those great big configurations. The other thing about that I've learned over the years about tents, the dome tents that work with the flexible rods that you slide up in them and they kind of support themselves and you just really stake them down so the tent doesn't blow away versus the frame tents made with the aluminum, the great big house-looking tents, those tents look great. One big bad windstorm, though, and you'll wish you had the dome tent. I was camping, this had to be almost 20 years ago. It was right after I got out of the Army, and uh, so maybe 18 years ago, uh, with uh, a girl I was dating at the time and some friends down in uh, central Texas, down in the hill country by Canyon Lake. And uh, a really bad storm came, and we all just you know, left the fire and, and, and went into our tents or our vehicles and, and waited the storm out. And it was bad, really windy, really lightning, really thunder, and... Me and this gal are laying in the tent, and we're watching the roof of the tent collapse down to about five inches above our head. Pop right back up. The wind would shift, go down, and it would pop back up. And it would go down, and it would pop back up. And it did it over and over and over again. When the rain stopped, we got out of the tent, of the tent came out found everybody, poured a few drinks, didn't start the fire because the ground, was, the woods, everything was totally soaked. Uh, but just sat around and, and turned some music on and, and went back to what we were doing for a couple more hours before we went to sleep. Um, 
my buddies mostly slept in their vehicles that night because they all had those type of tents, those rigid metallic frame tents. All of them were destroyed. Literally bent, busted, and soaking wet. And all of their gear that was inside them was soaking wet, even with rain flies on them, because they had been damaged through being bent. The dome tents with the flexibility were able to flex in that wind, and they we had one small area on one side of the tent that got a little bit damp, and that was it. Most of our gear that was in the tent was fine and dry. Our tent was fine and dry. We were good. And we had no problems because that tent, like a tree, was fluid versus being rigid. You know, and when they're rigid and wind hits you and you have basically a big sail, sooner or later if there's enough force, either fabric rips or frames break or bend. And when we drove through the park, they were not the only ones. It seemed like every tent that we came by that looked like that was wrapped around poles or trees or, I mean, it, this was a pretty nasty storm. Not the most likely thing to happen, but it can. And in this particular instance, dome tent proved to be the way. So easier to set up and flexible in high winds. That's why I like them. The next thing I consider an absolute essential, and you guys that are tough, I, I don't care how tough you are. This will make you happier too, but it definitely will keep the kids and the wife happy. You need padding or air mattresses or cots. I, I do whatever you want there, but get something between your back and the ground. There's so many reasons for that. There's some basic survival reasons. When you lay flat on the ground, that ground pulls heat out of your body. And at times, uh, even when you think it's relatively comfortable outside, you'll find yourself very, very chilled by morning. As a kid, I used to take a lot of trips fishing by myself. Sometimes I'd camp out overnight by the side of the lake and start a fire. And I tell you, you wake up at 3 a.m. even in the middle of the summer, and your, your, your teeth are chattering. And then you learn, hey, I need some insulation between me and the ground. So that's one reason in of itself. And the thin layer of a bottom of a tent is not insulating. It doesn't insulate at all. All right? So you need something. And the more comfortable, the better. The longer you'll be able to make your trips last. Uh, the more fun that you'll have. The less complaining that you'll have from both wives and children. And to be fair to women, some really pain-in-the-ass men uh, will complain less as well. Um And that can take the form of anything. There's good roll-up camping pads that are about a half inch thick. They're great. They're easy to pack. They're still not the most comfortable things in the world, but they'll definitely improve things for you. Air mattresses are great, except that just I, I have never bought an air mattress in my life that didn't eventually get a hole in it. Um, so if you're going to go the air mattress route, I would buy at least one more than you need and always have it available in your uh, in your vehicle so you can pull it out and use it when one of them fails, because it will. And when one fails and you replace it with that one, get a new spare. Uh, cots may be the best way to go. Fold up, lightweight, comfortable. I mean, they're, they're, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's not the most cozy thing for, for, you know, for, for couples to snuggle with two cots next to each other or anything, but I'll tell you what, um, the reliability and the, and the, and they don't fail. Uh, when I was in Honduras in the army, I spent six months sleeping on a cot. I was never uncomfortable. So those are some definite things you need. Definitely need blankets, pillows, and stuff like that. But you can really use most of the stuff that you use every day. Unless you're going into really cold or harsh environments where you need specialized gear and sleeping bags and all. Don't need it right away. Might not be a bad idea to get everybody a sleeping bag, even a low-cost one. But if you're tight on money, that's not the priority. Okay, Being comfortable with what's underneath you is because you can get a pillow and a blanket off your bed. Bring it home and wash it and put it right back on your bed. Uh, next is lighting. You need to have some, some alternative lighting, uh, stuff. 
uh, some hand crank lanterns, flashlights, stuff like that. The thing is, you should have most of this stuff. You should have it right now. You should already have it as part of like your blackout kit at home for when the power fails. And uh, so then what you're doing is you're taking that stuff with you, make sure that it goes back, have a procedure for getting it ready to go camping, have a procedure for returning it. You start to see some of the, the value of camping right there when you think about this because it starts to show you the ability that it creates for you to, like, test gear, make sure it's functional, make sure it's accounted for, uh, and make sure it doesn't need any maintenance. And your blackout gear is one perfect example of things you'll get to do that with. So definitely some lighting. Having a little bit of lighting that's dedicated to your camping needs that stays with the camping gear, probably not a bad idea either. But don't go out, don't go over to top with that. They make some really nice little LED lights that hang from the center of a tent now, uh, that, that run on those little small watch style batteries. The bigger, actually the bigger than watch batteries, but the flat ones, uh, those have a really long life to them. They're great in a tent. They give you all the light you would ever need in a tent. And uh, even little kids that might be scared sleeping in the tent at first uh, could leave one of those run all night long on a set of batteries. So those are a good thing to add. Uh, food. Definitely focus on food, including what I call some healthy junk food. Don't go out and like, okay, we got breakfast, lunch, and dinner and not have any snack food. Especially with kids, they get bored. Giving them something to eat is a good idea. But, you know, the basic stuff that you would always think of for camping, beef, jerky, trail mixes, stuff like that, try to get, try to fast from the real crap food. The candy bars, the, you know, don't, I don't care if, you, we're going to talk about this in a second. It's a good idea to camp, you know, 15 miles or less from home your first time. It's fine. But even though McDonald's is right up the road and around the corner, because you're camping at a little city park or a state park or something like that uh, that's close to home, don't go there. Stay off that crap while you're out there. You know, don't put yourself into harsh survival conditions, but get off of those support systems. Take food with you that will transport easy. This is a great chance for you to take some of that long-term storable food with you and cook with it. Take those powdered eggs from Honeyville Grains. Take them out there. Make breakfast with that. Take a can of Yoder's bacon, you know. Take that out there, open it up, learn to deal with how it's all wrapped up and packed together. You might want to try that one at home before you take it out there. It's great stuff, but first time you open it, you're going to realize that that's how they get 65 pieces of bacon into that little soup can size can, through compression and greasy wax paper. So, you know, use those opportunities. Take good food with you. Eat well when you camp, especially initially. If you eventually want to use camping to test your skills, fine. But especially with families when you're getting started out, bring a couple steaks along, wrap them up in some Ziploc bags, throw them in a cooler with a few days' worth of supply of ice, grill that stuff, take some potatoes with you, have good dinners. And the thing is, when you play hard and you're camping and you're fishing and you're hiking and you're doing all that stuff, food just seems to taste better. And families are actually together and there's no TV to get in the way and the Cell phones and pagers aren't going on. I guess nobody uses a pager anymore. But the cell phones aren't going off all the time because, hey, you tell people, I'm leaving, I'm not available, don't call me unless somebody's going to die. Take these opportunities for learning. Food, though, a big part of it. Next one, do not forget insect repellent. Put insect repellent in your car today. Keep it in your car at all times. You're going to be at the neighbor's someday, hanging out in their backyard, drinking some beer, eating some food, uh, swimming in the pool, and the kids are going to get attacked by insects, and your neighbors are going to be like, uh, insect repellent? Uh, we never thought of that. And you're going to get so insect repellent everywhere at all times. Bug out bag, vehicles, under your sink, in your garden shed, and with your camping gear, always have insect repellent. 
It's one of the things that saves you from dealing with misery. When we go on vacations, we take insect repellent. Uh, we, we used to vacation a lot at Sanibel Island, Florida. Beach, no insects. Just off the beach, sand flies and mosquitoes. My wife gets really heavy reaction from being bit by insects. Uh, way more than most people do. I wouldn't call it an allergic reaction. I would call it sensitivity. Having insect repellent has saved us a lot of misery. Trust me, when you're out in the woods, even the nearby woods close to home, there's a lot more bugs and mosquitoes out there than the typical backyard. So definitely insect repellent. A way to hook, cook, a way to hook, a way to cook. That probably goes without saying, but think beyond the simplistic and maybe take multiple ways to cook. Don't maybe go get a great big camp stove. Maybe take that jet boil system or, you know, that, uh, that Optimus Crux stove and use that for doing some of your morning cooking. Uh, maybe take a grill. Maybe take some wood with you to build a campfire. That's one of the great experiences of camping. But maybe bring some stuff with you to cook in the, the fire. You'll get one of those cheap, uh, blue enameled percolators for making coffee. Love those things. Have one, even for my RV. Why draw electrical power from a coffee maker? They actually draw a surprising large amount of electrical power, even if you have an RV. So, uh, and a percolator makes really great coffee. So, you know, have fun with the culinary aspects of being out there. But start to incorporate some of the things that you prep. Maybe start using some of your dehydration to prepare your lunches. So maybe you put together in a Ziploc bag some dehydrated vegetables and some bouillon and a couple cans of maybe chicken, and maybe you create a soup for lunch. But it's a prep-type soup for lunch. You see how you start to create the overlap there. Um, next, make sure you have a first aid kit. I'm not going to go deep into that, but I'm going to tell you that makes a lot of sense. And third... Go get some of the big Rubbermaid storage bins. Keep all your camping gear in there. Leave yourself headroom. So if you have all your gear that you've planned on using and all your bins are full to the top, go buy another bin at least and take half the stuff out of two bin, you know, half the stuff out of one bin and put it in there. And uh, then you'll have two bins that are half empty. Why? Because you're going to decide, I want this, I want that. You need places to add and expand your gear. You're going to think of something at the last minute. Hey, if we took that, it would be a great thing. Keep them in those Rubbermaid bins uh, or any type of bin or tub or secure environment where they'll stay dry, organized, easy to access, easy to load, easy to unload. And have stuff live in a bin. You know, I don't care if you, if you, if you, if you want to be anal about it and people can't remember, you, you, you put a, a label on something that says one and put a great big number of one on your bin. And then you don't even have to think about it. You know, this item is a number one item. It gets folded up or whatever. It gets done to it, and it goes in bin number one. This is a two. It goes in. We don't go that far, but we pretty much know our stuff lives in this. You know, all this stuff goes together. All that stuff goes together. But a numbering system, I have a good friend that did it, and you know what? He was completely organized, and this guy brought, like, everything but the kitchen sink with him, and he never had any disorganization problems. That's where I picked that one up. It might be one you want to do. Uh, so those are the big things. Now there's, I could do a whole show with nothing but a list of stuff to take with you camping. I don't want to do that today. I want to talk more about the experience uh, than just that. So those are just the things that, like, if you don't have those, you've got a problem. So those are the the, the, the bottom line stuff that you need to be comfortable. So when we're going to start camping, especially with families, what do we want to do first? Number one rule for me, start close to home. Don't make your first camping trip six hours away in some remote piece of wilderness. That's a great place to go. I endorse it. I think you should do it. Just not the first, second, or even maybe the third time. 
Think about what you're doing, especially with kids. You put them in a car. They're locked up for six hours. You have probably, with kids and wives, two or three pee breaks on that trip. One legitimate stop to, to fill the tank and for you, know, you to go. And you know probably a McDonald's drive-through experience, which is what you're trying to avoid, because you got to feed them, and, and, and they're in the car, and if, it'll keep their mouth shut. And, it just be, and then you get there, and it's late in the day because it took six hours to get there, and the mosquitoes are already buzzing around your head, and you're trying to set the camping gear up before it gets dark, and you're under stress. Maybe you get there and you, you, you had this, uh, the space reserve that, you know, the jerks at the park have gone ahead and given to somebody else. It, it, there's just too many variables that this creates for a first experience when the family's never worked together before to unload, to set up the camp, to cook dinner, to get everything established. The other problem with the six hour trip to the middle of nowhere is that it requires extra time off from work. Dad can't take just two hours off early and mom take two hours off early. The kids get home from school and maybe you have a Monday off for some reason or it's during the summer and the kids aren't in school and you have a long weekend or even a normal weekend with just a couple hours added to the Friday. Pack everything up Thursday. Be ready to go. Mom and dad come home, change clothes. Kids jump in the car, run out, go camp. You can't do that. That means you go less, that means you get less opportunity, that means you don't enjoy it as much because you're not there as much. Start close to home because it, it, it creates so many opportunities to fix screw-ups so that things don't go downhill. If you're close to home, odds are you're close to stores and support things. And try to not use that stuff, but if you have to, you didn't listen to Jack and you don't have off. And you get out there and the bugs are flying around. That'll be right back, boom, down to the store, grab the off, back, spray up. It just takes away so many potential problems. And if the trip is getting a little bit long and you want to call it a day early, maybe you stay Friday and Saturday and you were going to go home Sunday evening and you decide to go home Sunday morning, no problem. All right? Because you haven't taken a bunch of vacation days, you're not vested in this thing now, and you'll learn on the first trip all the things that nobody likes. So then you get the opportunity to correct those before the next trip. And over two or three of your initial trips, you'll fine-tune what you're doing to a point where everybody's relatively comfortable. Not always comfortable. If you, we were going to be always comfortable, we'd stay home in the lazy boy. But definitely start out close to home. It'll make your life a lot easier. Now remember, we're not roughing it here, but I want you to focus on trying to be as self-reliant as you can with shelter, food, and water. And if you can get up to a point where you go on a three-day camping trip, And from the time you leave the house to the time you come back home, you don't stop for gas other than, you know, if it's a longer trip you had to. No Slurpees or Slushies, no McDonald's, uh, no trips to the, uh, the little store at the, at the park. You just go, you have your own thing, you use all your own thing, you're 100% self-sufficient for three days and you come home. What that means is in a bug out where you had to move for three days to get where you're going, you could have done the same thing. It would be harder in a bug out because you're moving during a large period of the time during each day. You're stopping setting up and tearing down, uh, possibly, or you know maybe you're just living out of the car and you're not quite as extravagant as a setup. But when it comes to uh, food, water, and shelter, if you can do three days of self-sufficiency, you can deal with the standard 72-hour emergency period. 
You'll learn something about that. It's not as easy as you think it is. You'd never learn that if you didn't camp. You'd have to wait until you needed to rely on the ability to do it to find out how hard it is. Not exactly what you're looking for. So try to focus on self-reliance. Not to the point of making your family miserable. Not to the point where we can't do that. But note it when you have to rely on something. Just write it down. Little notebook, little journal. Like I'm always telling you, you should be journaling everything anyway. Because you're never going to remember everything you learn in life. How do you think I have all this great recall? Because I, I, I note all these things. Um, do that, and then you tweak that for your next trip. It keeps getting better and better. But focus on trying to develop self-reliance with food, shelter, and water for at least three days. If you can do that, you'll come a long way toward not just having self-sufficiency if you need it, but understanding your, your limitations at home. All of a sudden, if you start camping with this mindset... You'll still have fun. You'll still have a blast. You won't be miserable. And as we move on from there, I also want to kind of talk about getting away from the crowd, even in crowded areas. One of the real reasons that I like the remote camping and uh, maybe not even a campground, but being able to get into a place where it's like, uh, you know, you basically drive in, go anywhere you want, and you can camp anywhere in this particular forest. And you just find a place away from everyone is to get that feeling of isolation. So when you camp close to home, unless you happen to live way out uh, in the middle of nowhere, in which case you probably don't camp a lot around where you live because if you wanted to camp, you'd just hang up a, a hammock in your backyard, uh, which is kind of a nice thing to be able to do. Uh, there's this crowded feeling. There's a, a park here called Joe Pool, uh, or a lake here called Joe Pool with a park on it called Lloyd. And they have like 250 camping spots. And on some... Some big camping weekends, every single spot is taken. And that doesn't really feel like you're kind of camping out in the middle of nowhere, but they have these things called trails. And, you know, if you take a boat out there, you can take a, bo a boat out on the lake and get away from people or maybe just go to a different uh, side of the lake where there is no development yet and maybe just have lunch across the lake away from everybody. So one thing you really need to do is focus on... Uh, getting away from the crowds, even in crowded areas. Take up activities that involve you and your family. And it, what will happen is, just because there's enough nature around you, and just because everybody's doing their own thing, the people around you will sort of melt away. Um, what you don't want to do is spend all your time, you know, if you go camping at a lake and they have one of those swim beaches, kids want to go swimming, fine. You, know, you put, put a time limit on it. Make sure there's time to be alone in a way. And to do activities that are just about you and your family, or just about you and your significant other if you're out there. Or if, if it's five buddies, five army buddies, you guys are going to figure that out on your own. Uh, but do try to make it about the group that you went with. You know, dance with the one you brung uh, is the way I guess they say in the old cliche. But just realize when you're doing these, these near trips, these close trips, these overnighters, one night, uh, one and a half, you know, day and a half trips, you go out Friday afternoon and Stay Friday and come back Saturday afternoon. You, what you're doing is you're developing your system. You're fine-tuning everything that you're going to do when you go out on longer trips that have, let's say, deeper consequences. Once you drive six hours from home and you forgot to do something, you just can't run home and take care of it. Uh, now we have to start thinking about what do we do with the dogs? What do we do with the cats? Do they come with us? Do they get uh, a home-paced pet sitter, you know? And it doesn't mean we don't do that, but we also have to say to ourselves, and a shit at the fan, we wouldn't be able to do that. What would we do with them then? And at least have that contingency going on our mind. See how camping just keeps, it keeps leading you back to home. 
And all the things you have to deal with when you leave the house. You know, there are certain things that need to be cu cut off. Do you have to have a neighbor watch the place? What do you have to take into account when you're going to be gone for four days versus one? And when coming home is not an option. So start as you fine-tune, moving out into more remote camping. You'll enjoy it more. You'll get more opportunities to learn beyond the system. Because once the system's mastered, and you're an intelligent human being, if you can listen to this show and understand English and, and, and do the things that I talk about, you're intelligent enough to, in two or three trips maximum, two or three overnighters, to have a good, solid system down for camping. Period. Once that's done, then, you know, now you need to focus on the experience more than making the experience comfortable. So now you need to start looking for where can you go. Get a good guide to your state, and maybe if you live near a state border, the surrounding states. What camping's available within five to six hours is about as far as you want to do most trips. Uh, anything further than that, fine, but you're talking, you know, you want to take long trips then. You want to make it worth the drive. And there's a lot of places anywhere in this country within six hours of some really cool places. So find all those places. Start making a list. We want to go here. We want to go there. What do you want to do there? What do you want to focus on when you're there? Get the kids involved. Help them plan the trip. What do they want to see? Is there something you can stop at and see? If you're going to be gone for five days, is there something in the middle that is really all about the kids? It has nothing to do with camping or survival. That'll make them look forward to the trip more. Um, one of the big things I think you can do is purchase... Just about every animal, insect, plant, bird, field guide you can get your hands on. Learn uh, everything you possibly can that you could come across and be able to identify it. It's one of the greatest educational opportunities that camping affords us. When you see a bird, don't just go, hey, that's a cool bird. We've never seen one like that before. Get yourself, your wife, your kids, everybody to be able to look at that bird and go, this is what that bird is. This is what that bird feeds on. If that bird feeds on that, then that stuff's here. That stuff is fed upon also by. So therefore, we could probably expect to see. And start being observant. Our children have become so non-observant in our society, it's unbelievable. The dumbing down of our children is as much the fact that they don't know the difference between a robin and a blue jay is how poor their math skills are versus a country like Denmark. In fact, a lot of the math skills that all of these people are so worried about, I'm not that worried about unless you want to go build bridges or work on the space program or build buildings or do something that actually requires the math that we seem to think is so important. But learning basic knowledge and common sense, what the hell happened to that? Well, you're a parent, if you, if, you, if you are a parent anyway, you have the responsibility to do that yourself, not to bitch about the fact that someone else isn't doing it. Here's a great opportunity. There's an insect. What kind of insect is it? Does it pose any risk? Is it a predator? Is it prey? If it's a predator, what does it eat? If it's prey, what eats it? How do we identify it? If it stings us, does it hurt? Does it itch? What first aid do we take? See, these are things that, you believe it or not, your kids are interested in this stuff. If you'll take the time to explain it to them, and if you won't come down with a condescending attitude, if you ask them, what is that? Don't say, hey, do you know what that is? Because then you're like, you're smarter than they are, right? And you're, you're like, you're like trying to push information in instead of getting them to pull the information out of you. Hey, what do you think that is? Oh, I don't know. Let's look at, I don't care if you've known it uh, your whole life. If they don't know, you don't know either. Let's look it up in the book. Right? You might even know where to look at in the book. You might go to the sheet and I'll let them see. You're going to the index. Hey, that looks like it there. Hey, tell me, what is that? 
Let them read it to you. Let them be part of the learning. Same with, with animals. And Here's one of the great things you can do. Learn to identify poison ivy, poison oak, poison sumac, all the poison plants. Tell the kids, hey, the first person that spots one of these poison plants gets a free silver dollar. Uh, you know, you get the, uh, the, 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 the stick, right? Sometimes when we go on camping trip with the, with the Boy Scouts and my kid was younger, there was this stick. And whoever had that stick was basically like the, the boy's leader at the time. Right, so anybody, first person to spot, whoever has the stick, when somebody spots poison ivy for the first time, they get the stick. I don't care what it is, you know. Now we've got one Snickers bar in the cooler. First person to spot the poison ivy gets the Snickers bar. You know why? It's not to get them just involved, but then everybody's looking for poison ivy. Nobody rolls in it. Nobody gets it, and everybody learns it. And it gets written into the little brain forever. That's what it looks like. That's what it, it's not just a picture in a book. That's what it really looks like. That's the kind of places it grows in. Right? And you can do that with anything. First person to spot an Oriole. You know? First person to spot a gray capper. First, and put little games into this stuff. It, you, and it doesn't have to just be for kids. You can do it with your spouse. Hey, the, 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 the three things we want to try to find that are in this area, let's, it's not, you know, there's no reward. It's just some friendly competition. Look, there it is. I found one first. It makes the human mind engage. We're competitive by nature. Utilize that. But definitely use the opportunity to get an education. Make fishing part of what you're doing, too. Um, I don't care if it's just throwing a few catfish jugs out and seeing if you can catch a few fish. But fishing is such a valuable skill. It has such an ability to feed you in so many environments. And wherever you go, you'll probably find in most places, at least parks and stuff like that, the opportunity for some fishing. That doesn't mean, guys, because your woman's not going to be real happy if she's not a fisherman too, that you spend your whole day sitting on a fishing pier and not experiencing everything else with your family. Maybe you break away for an hour of primetime fishing in the evening or the morning to do that. Great way, guys, this is what I always did. I'd get up before everybody else. I was always the one who cooked breakfast anyway. I'd get up at the crack of dawn. I'd go out and fish for that first hour of daylight. That was always the best hour of fishing as it was anyway. By then, I'm hungry. I'd come back. I'd cook breakfast. I'm a hero instead of the guy that slinked off to do some fishing. Try to get the kids involved and the wife involved with the fishing as well. Um, make it part of what you're doing. And, and try, if you can just take a little bit of fish that is uh, that's actually harvested while you're out there and make it part of one of your meals. Don't make it such a priority that it, it, it surplants everything else. But if the opportunity is there, take it. And let kids, let everybody in the family that's maybe not accustomed to this, watch life transform into food so that they understand that it's real. And I know for some of you country boys, you're thinking, come on. You know, as a little kid, I was out roasting sunnies on a stick. But not everybody's done that. There's so many people in this world that don't make the connection. They don't understand where that chicken leg or where that sirloin steak or where that slab of bacon comes from. They don't get it. And it's not evil to kill an animal for a purpose. It's, an evil, it's evil to kill an animal for no purpose. People that go out and shoot things and just leave them lay and rot in the woods are scum in my opinion. But when you kill an animal to feed yourself, to feed your family, to use it, is a hunter when you kill to make something immortal. Over my head right now is a little seven-point buck rack. It's a little one. It's something that very few people would, would, would go out and call a trophy. But it's the first rack buck I ever shot. It's the first rack buck I ever shot with a bow and arrow. 
It's the first buck I ever killed with a bow and arrow. And that deer is was dead 24 years ago. But he's as alive today for me as he ever was. By, by now, without me being in the picture, he would have died somewhere, starved to death, his teeth rotted out. And then that, that meat was consumed long ago by myself and my family. It's a big step to go to kill something like a deer. Fish are kind of a good entry point for understanding that connection to life. If you can throw a little bit of trapping in there, if it's legal where you're at, and you can get them to eat it, great. But fishing's the softest entry point. Because most people have eaten fish before. And a fish is a fish is a fish. And, and I, what I found is most kids don't seem to have a problem with filleting a fish. They don't, they don't look at it with a lot of sympathy. There's something about fish that makes them easier to, uh, to convert to food for a lot of people than things that are furry. Uh, generally, if you look at it from a pet standpoint, if you have a single goldfish in a bowl, you might name it. But if you have a tank full of tropical fish, nobody names the freaking fish. People name their dogs. People name their cats. And if people were to keep things like pigs as a pet, you would name it. It's a lot easier to, to fillet something that you don't name. Let that lesson get into people. Though. Let them understand it. Let them understand what fresh is really all about. For an animal to be swimming, and maybe you come back uh, with a couple, uh, a couple big hand-sized bluegills and fillet them up and bring in a second pan with a little butter and garlic and alongside the eggs, a little pan-fried bluegill. Nothing tastes like that. Nothing has that level of, of just absolute perfection of something that's been that perfectly preserved in its natural state. So make that part of what you're doing. The next thing is... I've talked a lot about trying to make people comfortable, make people happy, make sure there's insect repellent, make sure there's a good place to sleep, make sure there's a good tent to keep the rain off of you, starting out close to home. But you know what? Let children deal with discomfort within reason. And it's underlined in the show notes today. When I'm a little hot. I'm a little cold. Go figure it out. Open the, open the window on the tent then. Daddy can't do everything for you. I was recently... And this is why this is so important. And this just drives me freaking crazy. I was with a friend, and a friend of ours that was a work associate of both of ours was there with her two children. And she, we ordered some food, and we ordered uh, cheeseburgers. And I, I split one with my friend, and, and she split one with one of her kids, and the other kid ate a whole one. And... Um, When they came, she had ordered them like with stuff on the side and don't add the onions and all this. So they brought out basically plain burgers on one plate and a plate with all the fixings like lettuce and tomato and stuff on a second plate. The one kid actually went to start putting his burger together. She said, no, no, don't do that. Went over and did it for him. These kids are like nine years old, seven to, I'd say one was seven, one was nine, somewhere in that range. They can't put their own burger together, even when they make the effort. She got in the way. I'll do everything for you. When I first met my wife, my, my little guy, Matt, was a little, he's a big guy, now he's bigger than me, but he's a little guy at the time, you know? But he was like six, seven years old, seven years old when we first really started to develop our relationship. And she'd make him a waffle. And she'd put butter in every little hole in the waffle and heat the syrup up and dump the syrup on. I said, hey, don't dump the syrup on. And he actually was stubborn about it. He didn't want to say, don't dump your own syrup, then fine. You can dump I can't do it. No, you can do it. This is what's happening in our cities around the world. Parents are doing everything for their children. 
Way past the point at which these children could do them for themselves. And the families with one or two children are more guilty of it than the parents that have six or seven. The ones that have six or seven, you don't have time to do everything for everybody. You're going to figure it out or you're going to go hungry. There's a place for allowing the discomfort. There's a place for allowing them to be unhappy. You're not going to be happy your whole life. And when you try to put a child in a happy cocoon, eventually they have to go out and deal with real life and you're not there. And they co it collapses around them and they can't deal with the stress. On, on a more practical note for survivalism, if you don't let them deal with discomfort in a relatively safe and happy environment, what happens when there's a major storm that rips the roof off of your house, everything's still going to shit, you're scared, they're scared, and they've never had to deal with discomfort in their life, and you have to now deal with a true emergency. Difficult, right? It never has to be that way. So allow some of the discomfort. Now, I'm itchy. Scratch it. You know? I'm hungry. Go. There's a bin over there of, of, of stuff you're allowed to have. I want to go to the store. No. There's a bunch of stuff in there. Go pick something. Have whatever you want. Have as much as you want. That's the rules when we're camping. You can have anything you want that we brought with us. You can have as much of it as you want. I don't care if it ruins your dinner. I don't, you know, let them be kids. But let them be kids in a self-sufficient manner. Let them have this comfort. Let them deal with it. If we don't start doing that, we're going to develop a nation full of people that can't find their own asses, folks. And some of you parents, you love your children so much, but you get in the way of their growth because you're afraid to let them have some discomfort. Camping is a great environment for you to pull back and let them have discomfort and see how they work their way out of it. They will make you proud. If you give them the chance. So allow some discomfort. Make sure you take some time to work on skill development, such as crafts and navigation. I just mentioned uh, camping survival sells power cord. Take your kids out there. Show them how to make bracelets out of power cord. Show them how to wrap a knife handle. Go make some walking sticks. Show them how to wrap the handle of a walking stick with, with paracord. Paracord is wonderful. Dirt cheap, thousand feet of it for 30 odd bucks, and it's an endless supply of crafts and games and, and practical applications as well. Hang up a clothesline. Make the crafts part of the relevant action of the trip. Another great one is navigation. You're going to go hiking on these trails in these state parks. It's a freaking loop. You couldn't get lost. If you if you get turned around, you end up back where you started. If you keep going, you end up back where you started on a lot of these loop trails. They build them that way on purpose. doesn't mean we can't learn navigation from it. Which way are we going, north, south, or east, or west right now? When Everybody keep an eye on things. Let me know when you think we've turned from heading north to heading west as we make the loop on the trail. Start these basic observational patterns. What time of day is it? How high is the sun in the sky? Show them how to make a stick compass, what they call Ottoman sun compass. Go find a sunny area. Take a stick. Put it in the ground. Take a rock. Put it where the tip of the shadow from the stick is. Wait 10 minutes. Put another rock on the tip of the shadow. Wait another 10 minutes. Put another rock on the tip of the shadow. Do that three or four times. Draw a line between your rocks. You know what you've got? You've got an east-west line. And if you know where east is and you know where west is, And you know where north and south are. Awesome, isn't it? So there are all these things that can become part of what you're doing. Another thing to add into, like, you know, the navigation, the crafts, again, is the, the animal insect identification stuff. You know, it, it's, it's, it's so imperative that we help not just our kids, but those people that are important to us in our lives develop some level of connection to this planet that we walk around on every day and take for granted. The simple act of observation develops connection. 
There's, there's a reason that we like to go to zoos and see animals for, from Africa. It's not just so we can be entertained. We look at that. It, it resonates with us that that creature actually lives somewhere, that it's actually part of who we are in a way. And then the problem with that, though, is we, we think, wow, Africa, wow, Australia. We don't realize that, hey, right here, there's amazing things right here that we're losing, that we're not protecting. You don't have to give people a big, long lecture on why it's important to preserve wildlife. All you have to do is get them to observe it and observe the interactions that it has. And the chain of events that that creates leads them to the conclusion for themselves. And then it's actually understood and learned versus pablum push down somebody's throat to push your agenda. Human beings are far more intelligent than we give each other credit for. If we take the time to pause, pull out of our microwave world where everything's supposed to be done in 30 seconds... And start to look at natural patterns. So observation, skill development, key. If you want to get the most out of your camping, you make that part of it. Now, you don't turn this into drill start. Some of you guys are in the military like me, and I made the mistakes myself. That's how I know. You don't make your experiences like that. You don't make, like, here's our agenda. from where you know, We're going to get up at 0600, and then we're going to do this. We're going to eat chow, and then we're going to go, oh, my God. You know what? If your kids and your wife wanted that, they would have been in the military too, guys. So make it loose and fluid, but put some structure into it. Say, hey, let's go do this now. Hey, let's go do that now. Hey, check this out. Because the one thing that will kill you on a camping trip from your kids, I'm bored. Ugh, that'll ruin it. That'll ruin it because all of a sudden they don't know what to do with themselves. And then they focus on what they don't have. The more you keep them doing things and going places, and occasionally the discomfort thing comes in. Occasionally, you know what, mom and dad are going to lay in the hammocks and take a nap. Figure it out. But don't make that more than an hour a day. Give them things to do. Take them with you. Whenever they're bored, let's take a walk. You know, whenever they're bored, let's get in the boat and go on the other side and see what's over there. Whenever they're bored, let's go see if we can find under a rock, under a log. Let's go look. Let's go see. Let's go experience what we're here to see. Not from a lecturing standpoint. Make it like it's a brand new idea you never had before. Hey, you know what? Why don't we take a walk down that other trail we saw on the map? What do you think? Put them in it. Give them vested interest in it. Give the, and not just kids, man. Wives, spouses, girlfriends. You know, don't be dominating on a camping trip. It absolutely, just ruins it. Use the time for bonding. Really use the time that you're out there and you're separated from this world of falsehood. And that's what we live in a world of illusion today. We don't appreciate anything today anymore. Another quick story about my childhood. I was a very young kid, I, maybe seven years old. Uh, I, I'm guessing it could have been eight, it could have been six. My grandmother used to work at this diner in Jacksonville. And uh, I was taken there to visit her one day by my mom. And we got there at the diner, and my grandma says to me, what would you like? And I said, well, I already ate, but I don't know, what do you got? She said, how about some pie? Now, what little kid turns down pie? And I said, sure, I like some pie. She goes, well, we got apple, we got this. I said, apple, apple pie would be great. She goes, you want it warm? Well, yeah, sure. So I watched her take this pie, cut me a slice out of one of those spinny things like the old diners used to have. And I know it's cold in there. I make mean, it feel the cold just by putting my hand on it. And she walks to the back to get my pie warm. And I figure, well, she'll be back with my pie in, you know, 10, 15 minutes, something like that. She came back in 30 to 60 seconds or less. 
which for a kid, you would think that's a long time, but when you're expecting it to be 20, it's like, it almost seemed like she walked in and before the door closed, she came back out, put the pie down in front of me, and it was steaming hot. And I said, how did you do that? She said, it's called a microwave. And I was like, wow. How few of those wow moments do kids and adults have today? We don't have the wow moments. We don't have the oh my gosh moments anymore. You know? We, we, we don't appreciate the fact that things weren't always the way that they are. When you get out there in, in, in even not the wilderness, but just away from this microwave society that we live in today, that's never not known a world without a microwave oven and all the other things that have been invented since then has not known a world without a computer, without an internet, without a cell phone. And you take people away from that and reconnect them to what they are, they find that connection and then you get the opportunity not just to bond with the earth and to bond with the reality, but to bond with each other. And it may be the most important thing you can do for survival in the world is to bond with your family. Because whether the shit hits the fan or not for everybody else, sooner or later in every family, the shit hits the fan. Sooner or later something really bad will happen. Someone will get sick. Someone will die. Someone will lose somebody that's important to them. A financial hardship will hit. Someone will lose a job. There'll be a car accident. Somebody will do something really stupid. And then the greatest threat to survival that we know comes, the threat to the survival of the family unit. And it can be that personal experience, you know, just to be real with you, the teenage daughter that comes home scared shitless because she's pregnant. The fact that dad's job that's been secure for 20 years just went away. It could be a lot of other things that I won't go into. I don't want to live on a downer here. But it could be a lot of those things. Or it can be a real disaster that does affect your neighbor. It could be the, the loss of your home. It can be economic turmoil that's much bigger than just your job. It could be any of those things. But in any of those situations, there's this stress that's placed on the family. And it's placed on the bonds of the family. And here's the simple way to understand this. The stronger the bond, the more stress that it can endure. If I take two sticks of wood and glue their tips together with Elmer's glue, which is how many of our families are, are bonded today, I can hold one stick up and the other stick stays attached to it. But if I put the least amount of pressure on the bond, it goes away and it breaks and it falls apart. If I take that same, those same two sticks and I create a tongue and groove joint, that I put together and glue together. The sticks themselves may break before the joint does. What an analogy for the family. You build a family with a strong enough bond. The only thing that can break the bond is to break the individual that's bonded. In other words, the only thing that separates you is death. That's a strong bond. Camping is not the only way to do that, for God's sakes. But it's a great way to start on that path. We can't form those bonds like our ancestors did in our society today because we don't live the way that they did. We don't live in households where old people are appreciated and seen as a source of wisdom. We send old people to homes. We don't live with our whole family around us at all times supporting each other anymore like people used to. And it wasn't just Native Americans. It was people all over the world used to live that way. 
The more civilized we've become uh, from a standpoint of technology, the less civilized as human beings that we've become. But it's still in us. We're hardwired this way. And when we put ourselves into situations where we take away the distraction, the bonding begins to renew itself almost immediately. And here's the thing about those bonds. Once they're formed, generally they can only, you know, you go away from that experience, the bond stays, even though the experience goes away. And when you get another experience, the bond grows a little bit deeper and a little bit tighter, but it never backs off. It doesn't loosen. It's new tolerance for stress is real and in many situations permanent. Find those bonding experiences. Men, do not set your expectations too high that that 14-year-old boy with an attitude is going to come to this realization immediately. You're going to let you set yourself up for disappointment. Let it be what it is. But have trust in that young man. If you've done a good job, he may stray a little bit, but he'll come back. This is one way to start him on that trip. There's a lot to be gained from taking the time to get out of the environment and focus on survival, not just to wake up breathing tomorrow, not just if the shit hits the fan, but to make sure that that family unit survives and that the only way that that bond is ever broken is on the sad day that we have to lay someone to rest. And that can be a big part of an experience like camping, as unrelated as they seem. Hopefully I've made the case to you that that is indeed the way that it is. Get out, get away. Get away from the things that we've been told are important and get closer to the things that really are important. Do that and you'll start to find a new part, not just of the other members of your family, but of yourself. You'll find a connection to who you really are, what you really are, and what is really important. And it will affect your life. You'll come back home and you'll start to realize, hey man, the survival planning we've been doing actually matters. And we've screwed this up, this up, and this up, and now we're going to fix it. You'll start to have more confidence. You'll start to know each other better. And here's the big one. When shit goes wrong, and sooner or later it will, that bond will be strong, able to handle the stress, and you as a family will be better equipped to know what to do in that situation, have more confidence, and be able to execute it properly. And that'll lead you down a path toward more self-sufficiency and more self-reliance and more independence in all walks of life. And a hell of a lot more confidence for those young people. And with that, I'll go ahead and sign off. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler doesn't matter cause it all gets spent